0: Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, starred in a 1990 action comedy film called Kindergarten Cop. And in one well known scene, Schwarzenegger is teaching the kids in class, and he admits and kind of rubs his forehead that he has a headache, and one of the little kids says it might be a tumor. And then comes this, this funny, famous line from Schwarzenegger, It's not a tumor. You know, that's not great, but that's, that's a decent impersonation. It's not a tumor. It's not. So sin is like a brain tumor. Our brains are control centers which control our balance and equilibrium, our muscle movements, our speech, our judgment, our reasoning, even our emotions and learning. A brain tumor disrupts these processes and can actually cause headaches and eye problems, nausea, seizures, and communication difficulties. A tumor can even change someone's personality and cause sudden mood swings. Sin is like that. Sin is in us and influences everything that we think and feel and do, and sin causes many problems for us. It makes us confused, irritable, angry, anxious, depressed, apathetic, self righteous, prideful, and unkind. Sin is like a brain tumor, influencing everything we think, feel, and do. The gospel is the good news of a divine neurosurgeon removing the tumor in order to save our lives. The divine neurosurgeon carefully and skillfully opens us up and cuts to remove the tumor of sin. And in time, he removes all of it so that we can live tumor-free forever, but he is taking his time to operate. When God extends his grace to us through faith in his Son, he begins a divine and spiritual surgical process to identify and remove sin in us, we call this surgery sanctification. The gospel is Christ by his Spirit continually performing surgery on us by graciously removing the tumor for our well being. The surgery takes a lifetime. But in the end, this successful surgery is completed and sin is fully removed from us. This is the hopeful promise of the gospel. Sin will be entirely removed from us. And this process, this divine surgery has already begun. But while in surgery, we must realize that God is loving us when he shows us our sin from the CAT scan of the law. He he is loving us when he cuts us. He is loving us when he rids us of what is hurting us. I think we need to constantly be reminded that sin is hurting us. It's distracting us from loving God and loving our neighbor as we ought. We also need to be constantly reminded of the gospel, that God is graciously addressing the problem of sin in us in order to rid us of what is hurting us. That's how he loves us. He's readying us to live with him forever, but we're not ready yet. He has to keep operating. And that spiritual surgery, or we could call it sanctification, it is painful right now in this life. But the final result is our complete sanctification and glorification with Christ. We will not be glorified with Christ without the painful removal of our sin. That painful process of sanctification which scripture tells us ends in eternal life. Now I'm still concerned about how you're hearing this series. I'm concerned that you may not hear it with the gospel in mind and that it may not be sweet to you because it challenges you. Each week, we are encouraged in this series to look to Christ in true faith, to see who he really is, to see his righteousness in the law, and to see what he is doing in you and me, to see what he is making us, what he is sanctifying you and me to be and to do. See, for the Christian, the Ten Commandments do so much more than just uncover sin and expose our sin. The law shows us the righteousness of Christ. And the law becomes for us that model life that we want to live, kind of like, that's the kind of person right there that I want to be. That's the kind of person that God is making me. The law continues to remind us of how dependent we are on God's grace and spirit, and this glorifies him. So here, brothers and sisters, here is how I'm trying to position this series for you. Because Christ delivered you from your sin and misery, because you've received grace in Christ by true faith, because you belong to Christ, because God loves you as his adopted child, because the Holy Spirit is alive and well and working in you, the law is Christ's gracious is Christ graciously teaching you and me how to love God and our neighbors the right way the way that pleases him. I'm trying to position this series so that you can think, wow, God really loves me. He points out my sin and he goes further, he gives me Jesus to work on removing sin from me so that I can be healthier. And that's hopeful and that's thinking about the 10 with the gospel and your sanctification and eternal life in mind. Now, for the first three commandments, if you remember back, my order was put off and then put on. If you remember then, when I came to the fourth and the fifth commandments, I switched the order of that because those two commandments are the only two among the ten that are stated in the positive. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. And so I switched the order. The last two weeks, we looked at what to put on first, uh, what the fifth tells us to do. Today, I'm unpacking what the fifth tells us not to do, what we are to put off, what we are to repent of. And then next time, we'll continue the put off, put on pattern when we come to the sixth commandment. Does make sense? Hopefully, that you understand why I'm, I'm switching the order a little bit. I want us to consider three simple things. Number one, review the gospel from Romans 6. I want the gospel to encourage you as we continue to think about the fifth. Number two, present sins that superiors need to repent of in order to better love God and their neighbors. This addresses what those in authority should not do. Uh, this addresses our hearts and our behavior when we are the ones that are in the positions of authority. And then third, presents sins that inferiors need to repent of uh, in order to better love God and their neighbors. This addresses our hearts and behavior when we submit to those in authority over us. So let's begin with the gospel so that we can hear the fifth appropriately as God's beloved children. Number one, brothers and sisters, you are dead to sin and alive to God. Listen carefully to the gospel from Romans 6 1 through 14. I'm going to read it slowly. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know? Our gospel, that's good news what I just read. That's our only hope, and that gospel leads us to thankful, joyful, and worshipful obedience. Grace progresses to gratitude. Grace progresses to gratitude. So what Paul says next, then, after that gospel statement, is what gratitude looks like. It's what gratitude is. Paul continues, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Okay. Present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. What's righteousness? What, how do we know what that means? The law defines righteousness. Psalm 19 verse 9 says, The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. This series is about learning what righteousness is and learning how to present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. Through his law, our Father is teaching us what not to do and teaching us what to do in order to love him and others. And saints, sin is so pervasive and strong in us. Oh my goodness, we want it We chase it. And at the same time, as believers who are united to Christ, and because we belong to Christ, we hate it. We flee it. We desire to be holy. There's this war inside of us. Our hope is this, in this sanctification war, which gets awful sometimes, is that Christ has won the war. We are actually free in Christ and sin has no dominion over us, Paul said that we are not under law, but under grace. We're not in Adam, we're in Christ. We're not in a covenant of works, we're in a covenant of grace. When Paul says, walk in newness of life, well, I take him to mean that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ in order that we may live a new kind of life leaving the old life behind and, and get a fresh new start in Christ. And this is a life of righteousness. This is a life of repenting from what the law tells us not to do and obeying what the law commends us to do. Guilt, grace, gratitude. It is so important it's, I, it's so important. We must know that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins and we are condemned by God. We must know that because we are united to Christ by true faith, we are now dead to sin and alive to God. And we must also know that because we belong to Christ, we are truly free, brothers and sisters, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to obey the law out of love for God and out of love for others. The divine neurosurgeon is still showing you your sin tumor by the CAT scan of his law as he continues to graciously and carefully and skillfully and powerfully remove that tumor from you. When you realize where your sin is, the law shows you right there it is. You're seeing that on the CAT scan of the law. That's where he's going to cut Listen carefully, God is graciously showing you your sin in order to rid you of it so that you can be well and that so, so you can love God more and more and more as you serve him. He's ridding you of what's hurting you. He's loving you by sanctifying you. Don't resent him from showing you the tumor and cutting it out of you. Thank him for loving you enough to cut So that was number one, the gospel from Romans six. Next, number two. Brothers and sisters, Christ is helping you repent of the misuses of your authority so that you can better love God and those under your authority. The fifth applies to you when you are in a position of authority. Here's the fifth again honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Within that one command are responsibilities for children and parents, for all superiors and inferiors. And the command may seem to be one-sided. You may not immediately see in this command the fact that superiors are called to something as well by, by how it's stated. But Many other scriptures give commands on how parents or superiors should use their authority, and so those commands are fitting in right here when the Ten Commandments are addressing authority. When superiors and inferiors break the fifth commandment, bad things happen. Really bad things. A society where the fifth is regularly broken by superiors and inferiors is a volatile and dangerous society. So let's try to wrap our brains around what disobedience to the fifth looks like day in, day out. Everyday rhythm of life. And I don't have time to develop the point as it it applies to every sphere that that I'm mentioning here. I'm, I'm hoping that you first get the big picture and then that you can carefully apply that to the family, the workplace, the state, and the church. So the principles apply in every sphere but I'm not gonna develop it in every sphere. I think Westminster Larger Catechism 130 summarizes the sins of superiors pretty well. It says this. The sins of superiors are, besides the neglect of the duties required of them, an inordinate seeking of themselves, their own glory, ease, profit, or pleasure, commanding things unlawful or not in the power of inferiors to perform, counseling, encouraging, or favoring them in that which is evil, dissuading, discouraging, or withholding support from them in that which is good, correcting them unnecessarily, carelessly exposing or leaving them to wrong temptation and danger, provoking them to wrath, or in any way dishonoring themselves or lessening their authority by an unjust, indiscreet, rigorous, or negligent behavior. So let me take that statement and highlight some important points from that explanation. So try to think broadly now in terms of parents, employers, magistrates, and church leaders, really anyone who holds a position of authority. These are ways that we must not let sin reign. Number one, neglect your God-given duty. Neglect your God-given duty. This goes without saying, because along with authority uh, comes God-given responsibility, All authority is from God, and when God grants authority, he grants responsibility. If a superior neglects or shows carelessness in their God-given duties, they are misusing their authority and breaking the fifth. Take parents, for example. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians 6, 4 tells fathers to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So if parents neglect doing that, they break the fifth. God gives parents many responsibilities to nurture their children, both body and soul. Christian parents, then, are not perfect parents. They they don't nail it all the time. But what they are is committed parents. They want to teach their children how to know and love and serve God, and so they try every day to to do what they can to do so. Husbands, employers, teachers, magistrates, ministers, elders, they all have God-given duties. Their responsibility then includes knowing what duties God requires them in their role of authority. They need to know what the Bible says about this and what the Bible communicates to them about their role in Scripture. They need God's grace. They need His Spirit. They need His wisdom to use their authority for good in the way that He commands. Authorities get themselves into trouble when they all of a sudden start making up how they're supposed to use their authority and not following how God wants them to use their authority. Let not sin reign... So if you have a position of authority that God has entrusted to you, you must know what God requires of you in that role. And you must devote yourself to doing what God requires for the good of those under your authority. This is what Jesus did. Number two, serve yourself instead of others. Serve yourself instead of others. Authority was not given to you so that you could misuse it for your own selfish benefit. Authority is given to superiors for the benefit of their inferiors. Authority used properly is selfless and considerate and helpful. When parents, teachers, employers, magistrates, and church elders put themselves before those under their authority, they break the fifth. Philippians 2.4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Romans 15:2 says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And I think we can take the truths of those statements and apply it to authority, to leadership. Authority is misused when it is not used to love and serve others. Love is the whole essence of the law. Jesus was the perfect model of this. Jesus gave the greatest leadership lesson in these words, and his life demonstrated these words. But whoever would be great among you, you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. That's the leadership that Jesus brings to the table. If your authority then is not used for the service of others, for the benefit of others, to give your life for the good of others, as Christ did, you are abusing your authority and you need to repent. Let not sin reign. Number 3. Giving unlawful, unnecessary and or impossible commands. My, my family is reading through the book of Daniel, at least the first part of it. Um, the last part of it is quite a bit to, to, uh, to chew on, but King Nebuchadnezzar decreed that everyone must bow down and worship a, a golden image. That's unlawful. In Acts 4, authorities commanded G, uh, uh, Peter rather and John to not speak or, or teach in the name of Jesus. That's unlawful. Abortion is one of the most horrific and unlawful misuses of authority in history. And think of all those authorities that are involved. Parents, teachers, employers, including Planned Parenthood and healthcare corporations, which blows my mind. The oath that they take, government, and even liberal pastors... Many authorities have blood on their hands. Let not sin reign. Unnecessary or ridiculous or impossible commands are an abuse of authority. Parents ought not to make dumb rules for their kids that are irrational and really hard to follow. Family rules should be informed by Scripture and for the good of everyone. Elders ought not to go beyond Scripture to lay unnecessary burdens on their congregation that God does not say. We have to be very careful about that. Unlawful, ridiculous, and impossible commands are exasperating, amen? Authority must be used sensibly and with the boundaries that God establishes for that authority. Unlawful, ridiculous, and impossible commands often drive inferiors to anger frustration despair and in some cases outright mutiny and i think about the the academic and athletic demands that some many parents burden their children with the pressure is more about the parents than it is about the good of the children how many of us have have had a keen sense of confusion and exasperation throughout covid inconsistencies in the use and communication of authority exasperates inferiors. Let not sin reign. These are sins that we must repent of. These are the areas where we need God to cut. All of Christ's laws, they're all lawful. (laughs) And Christ helps us to obey so he's not asking us something without then equipping us with what we need to obey. Number four, encouraging inferiors to evil and or failing to protect them from evil. An example of this would be parents trying to be cool and allowing their children to be subjected to numerous evils. Sure you can have a party with alcohol. You know what, here are some contraceptives. Just be smart about it. Some parents give access to endless entertainment and internet use without setting many boundaries or much accountability for their kids. Parents watch all kinds of explicit content with their kids. Parents are loose with their language around their kids. Parents rant about all kinds of things and communicate their kids to their kids that angry and slanderous outbursts are okay. Let's get personal. I'm an emotional guy, all right? If you haven't recognized that already, Emotional guy, and and I happen to process things by talking about them. That's just how I am. I just blah, blah, blah. And it's often very not helpful. And my kids have heard from my mouth these angry and pessimistic complaints about many problems in the world. And then I have the audacity to confront them sometimes with frustration about how they explode on each other. That's called hypocrisy. That's called encouraging my children in evil. As their father, they should hear nothing from my mouth but truth, justice, patience, gentleness, discernment, wisdom, goodness, and a balanced application of the law and gospel. They don't. Not as they ought not as I should give them. Often, as parents, our carelessness and lack of self-control, self-discipline, and respect for authority encourages our kids to pursue evil, which can oftentimes include their revolt against our authority. We create problems for ourselves. We encourage it. Elders, elders can fail to protect the church by not addressing false doctrine and sin in the church. Do you know what happens to a church when the elders look the other way when people are wounding each other? Pain and division. Do you know how hard it is for elders to step up and to confront sin in their members for their good? That's really hard, and we end up, you know, sometimes getting attacked for it by loving people the hard way. But if you let this stuff go, if there's no authority, oh my The pain that that ensues. Government can fail to protect in policies that they create, in courtrooms, and in the streets. This headline illustrates the point, Seattle protesters take over city blocks to create police-free autonomous zone. Government wasn't thinking about the citizens living in that dangerous area. Let not sin reign. The gospel is our motivation to use our authority to encourage good and to protect from evil. Five, failing to encourage and support good behavior. The encouragement of a superior is a powerful force for good. When superiors don't encourage it can devastate inferiors. Parents who seldom encourage their children with love, approval, reassurance, and commendation really hurt their children. And I'm talking about verbal affirmation mixed with physical affection and linked to giving thanks and praise to God for the good things happening in the kids. When parents criticize more than they encourage and are just standoffish more than affectionate, it wounds children so deeply. God made parents parents to encourage and build up their kids in the Lord. I think parents should commend their children's hard work, good grades, athletic performances, if they have good ones, and achievements, but way, 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 way more than that. Parents ought to encourage and support their children when they see the fruit of the Spirit working in their children's lives. As parents, we ought to be very quick to notice and commend God's work of grace in our children. God has given you incredible gifts, and I saw you use them to God be the glory. He's really working in you. Look how he helped you in the game. Look how you didn't respond to the referee. Look how you loved and served your, your teammates. Man, you nailed that test. How God has given you great gifts. Let's praise him together that he's given you. You see how that works? That's what we ought to be doing. We miss Great opportunities to draw attention to God's work in our children, and folks, it's wrong. It's wrong. That's misusing our parental authority. Have our government's recent expensive policies encouraged people to get jobs and work hard and make an honest living? Government handouts, they might have their place in some circumstances, not here to debate that, But does government realize the bad things that handouts can encourage? In time, socialism and Marxism become quite cruel. Let not sin reign. The family, the workplace, the state, and the church ought to be places where good behavior is encouraged and supported and celebrated. Let not sin reign. The gospel puts into us this readiness to take our authority and to use it to encourage and support and celebrate goodness. Encouragement and support are chief duties of superiors. And as Christians, we ought to be the best at this. We ought to be so encouraging and supportive and we ought to celebrate goodness quickly with great Energy because our God has been good to us in Christ. Jesus is goodness. Number six, provoking inferiors to anger. Ephesians six: eight. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3:21, Fathers. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Authority is not to be used to infuriate, discourage, and afflict those under authority. Good leadership will always infuriate some because goodness and truth are always infuriating to some. But it never afflicts. But the abuse of authority infuriates, discourages, and afflicts many people because it is unreasonable, irrational, bad-tempered, overbearing, arrogant, selfish, and domineering. Let not sin reign. Jesus never provoked people to anger with unreasonable and unlawful authority. Only ever with perfect exercise of authority. Of course, he exasperated many, but it was their problem, not his. The proper use of authority begins in the heart with love and submission to God. That's Jesus. That's what we see in him. A heart submitted to God is a heart ready to use authority to love and to bless others, and that's the idea of the fifth. But there's another side to the fifth, one that is more obvious. Number three, brothers and sisters, Christ is helping you repent of your unruliness so that you can better love God and those in authority over you. We are all unruly and disobedient. Now, certain personalities like mine are more naturally... um, No, I shouldn't have said that at that point. Let Let me say this again. Certainly... Some personalities are more naturally compliant, <laughs> that's not necessarily me, or accommodating than others. But, but I'm talking about unruliness of the heart that's in everybody, regardless of the personality type. And some unruliness is boisterous and in your face, but, but sometimes unruliness is quiet and subtle and not always seen from the outside. In Ezekiel 11, God talks about removing a heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. Stone is hard. Stone is inflexible. And if we are ever going to extend honor and love and faithfulness to the authorities over us, we need new hearts. Here's what Westminster Larger Catechism defines as sins of inferiors against their superiors. The sins of inferiors against their superiors are all neglect of the duties required toward them, envying at, contempt of, and rebellion against them in their status, in their lawful counsels, commands, and corrections, cursing, mocking, and all such obstinate and scandalous posturing as proves a shame and dishonor to them and their government. Number one, neglect your God given duty. The fifth says to honor your father and your mother. Honor is a child's duty. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, obviously, at this point, we have to state that obeying God is the ultimate authority. If parents require something that breaks God's law, of course, that's, that's uh, void, All right, it always trumps obeying parents, but when children or other inferiors dishonor and disobey their parents or superiors, they are neglecting their duty and displeasing the Lord. To be impatient with and unforgiving of the faults of your parents and authorities is to neglect your duty. Let sin not reign. And there is no way to do this without the grace and spirit of God. This is beyond human ability. We need God to intervene and put love in our hearts so that we can honor, love, and submit. Submission doesn't come naturally, it comes supernaturally by the Spirit. Number two, when superiors counsel, command, and correct, envy, scorn, and defy them. Now, it's easy to envy authorities. And so it helps to realize that God was the one who gave them authority, and God was the one who gave us the responsibility to honor, love, and submit. Scorning authorities is displeasing to God. Defying authorities is displeasing to God. And I think the heart of the matter is that we just don't want God to govern us by their hand. I understand it's difficult to work through how to respond to the exploitation of authority, but there's actually a bigger difficulty our inclination to envy scorn and defy authority, that's the bigger problem. We, we must be careful uh, with, with the thinking through this. Romans 13:4 says about magistrates, "For he is God's servant for your good." And Paul also meant, mentioned that we are to be in subjection for the sake of our own consciences. Parents and authorities are supposed to give counsel, commands, and correction. If not, if they don't, they're abdicating their authority. That's what they're supposed to do. So if we envy them, if we scorn them, if we defy them, because they are doing what God commanded them to do, we sin against them and we sin against God. Let not sin reign. And we can justify our insubordination many ways, but we need to realize that God intends to use authorities to counsel, command, and correct us because we need counsel, commands, and correction. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15:5 says, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Proverbs 17.10 says, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. I would say individualism, particularly in America perhaps or in the West, greatly impedes spiritual progress. I don't need you to correct me. Who do you think you are? Do you know who you're talking to? Get in your place. Wrong Wrong, wrong, wrong. The fifth commands you to open up and to receive the goodness of authority for your growth and eternal good. God is governing you through their hand. How often have you been thankful to God for the authorities that he set over you? You may have been wounded. There is no excuse and justice ought to be done, but are you thankful? Why did Jewish authorities turn Jesus over? I think this is really interesting. Envy. They envied Jesus so they turned him over to the cross. They couldn't see the goodness of God in his authority. Number three, shame authorities with your cursing, name-calling, mocking, and antagonistic spirit. Psalm 10 verse 7 says about the wicked, his mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. Proverbs 10.18 says, whoever utters slander is a fool. And I think we ought to just consider that as it applies to our authorities. Whoever utters slander is a fool. Proverbs 30.17, it sounds like a collaboration of Edgar Allan Poe and Alfred Hitchcock. Listen to this. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. God calls wives to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord, and scripture addresses the pain for husbands when this is the demeanor of their wives. This opposition Proverbs 21:19 gives it straight. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. And that principle, I believe, applies in the family, in the workplace, in the state, and in the church, the truth behind that statement. When inferiors have an antagonistic attitude toward their superiors, they make it very difficult for their superiors. I think Proverbs ten twelve is the spirit of the fifth. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And let me just say that the political climate in the U.S. is toxic. I think some of you may want me to go further than I'm comfortable going in some of these sermons because I'm trying to get to the heart of the fifth and allow the application for the spirit in your lives. So I'm I'm really not gonna get that that political, but it is toxic. And I have disobeyed the fifth in so many ways. I can't keep track, and I'll I'll be very candid, that my antagonistic attitude has hurt me as well. I don't like who I am when I'm always complaining about that garbage out there. I'm just, I'm very annoying. And so cursing the president or cursing the governor, name-calling, ridiculing, mocking, and complaining about all that they do wrong are all sins and displeasing to God. Let not sin reign. And I'm not talking about honorably and respectfully presenting good arguments against what authorities sometimes do. I'm not talking about that. We can make good arguments in in respectful ways, in loving ways, in honorable ways, in helpful ways, in very necessary ways, but let's be honest, our attitude has been toxic. And no, no wonder some of our authorities don't even want to hear from us. Submission doesn't mean always agreeing, but we sin against God in our authorities, whether it be our parents, teachers, professors, school boards, employers, lawmakers, church leaders when we stir up strife with an antagonistic spirit. How often do we thank and commend those in authority over us? How often do we give them the benefit of the doubt? Do they only hear from us when something is wrong? Maybe before we post that, that negative comment on social media, we ought to write them an encouraging thank you note. And it just, doesn't, it just doesn't promote love when we are a stench in the nostrils of those whom God calls to govern us. In many ways, antagonism toward our authorities is actually antagonism toward God himself because God governs us by his hand. And if you want a little test here, just put yourself in the position of the authority. Would you want how you are a, with someone differing, would you want that to be the way that, that they treat you? This is very simple application of, of uh, loving your neighbor. How are we going to ever obey the fifth? Folks, my goodness, the abuse of authority and insubordination, it begins in our hearts and we tend to look at this and think, this is a mountain to climb, I can't do, I, it's too much and that's how we ought to feel because the law is too much. But Christ is the gospel who has fulfilled this for us. And so at this point, we have to trust him to create a new kind of heart inside of us where we want to do this and we get pleasure from obeying him. Where is our hope? Where is our comfort when things are overwhelming? And here's one little line from Romans 8. To comfort you, to assure you in your struggle, the spirit helps us in our weakness. There it is. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Why did the Father and the Son send the helper to you? Why? To help you. To help you. The Spirit. Well, well, because you need help and because God is actually helping you. I mean, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's that's hope, that's comfort, that's empowering, that's freeing. You will not obey the 10 perfectly in this life. You won't, but you can make progress for the glory of your God who is being gracious to you. Are you open to his work in your life? Are you looking at the CAT scan of the law to see your tumor, to see where you need him to cut? Are you thankful that God is cutting it out of you? You see, folks, you need to taste the gospel and the goodness of God in order to taste the sweetness of his law.